You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mission Lab. This is episode 96, entitled Koinonia Dei. Wow, that's a tongue twister. It's also the combination of a Greek and Latin word. I'm sorry to uh, kind of, um, yeah, put those two things together. That's a faux pas, a linguistic faux pas, but uh, hopefully it will become evident to you why I have entitled this episode Koinonia Dei. Uh, yeah. So anyway, hope you're well. I want to share with you a little sermon, if you will, a little sermonette about something that I'm really excited about. I've kind of hinted at it before and we have said it in so many other words in previous episodes, but maybe some more mature, recent machinations on this uh, important, important topic. I will say this. I've been inspired afresh by a PhD dissertation I've been reading, technically a DPhil dissertation from a new friend of mine named Tihomir Lazic. Tihomir Lazic, he's from Serbia originally. He uh, is a he is a lecturer in theology at Newbold College in England, and he did his DPhil, which is what they call a PhD at University of Oxford in England. And he wrote this phenomenal dissertation that I'm almost done with that is called The Remnant in Koinonia, something like that. And um, I, I've been trying to get Tihi, as he is called by his friends, to join me on the podcast. He has indicated he would like to be, but we haven't made it work yet. So I'm hoping he'll be on in the near future to talk even more in-depth about this really cool concept. I'm going to just take a little small facet of it. Um, this is a, I'm just going to kind of expound upon a verse in scripture that has become, even prior to reading Tihi's dissertation, because uh, he doesn't really talk much about this passage, but it has become one of my absolute favorite passages in scripture and it has all sorts of goodies in it, all sorts of goodness, all sorts of power. And so I just want to spend a few minutes uh, expounding upon it and expositing upon it. So what I want to look at with you this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you are, whenever it is, is very simply from the opening words of John's first epistle. Okay. John's first letter. John himself, I mean, just the context of the, of, of the book, John himself just is one of my favorite uh, characters in scripture. Um, he embodied this kind of, I've been using the word mystical a little bit lately, but he, he embodied this mystical connection with Jesus, not even just mystical, mystical because it was physical. In the Gospel of John, he referred to himself frequently as the one whom Jesus loved. And he is often seen reclining on the bosom of Jesus. He has this tight 
tight connection to Jesus. And so he writes this epistle to some unknown audience. We don't know for sure, but he writes three different letters that we have um, available to us that we are aware of. Interestingly, his first epistle, 1 John, um, the prevailing theme in this book is love. Uh, that there's, there's no other book in the New Testament that uses the word love more than John does in this little book, all of, what, six chapters long? So, um, five chapters, excuse me. So John is the love man. He is the one who dwells on the love of Jesus. And um, yeah, it's a very important theme to him. There's a, there's a legendary story that, you know, right before John died, he announced to everybody, my little children love one another. That is the most important theme upon which we can allow our minds to meditate. But anyway, he opens up this powerful little book with these simple words. He jumps right into it. He says, that which was from the beginning. Now, he starts out his gospel in the same way talking about in the beginning. But he says, that which was from the beginning. Now, check this out. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. So I mean, we'll, we'll get to the rest of the passage because my main point is going to come after these words. But I love how John is testifying to a relational, personal, physical reality. He is not, when he writes to his audience, he is not about to pontificate on the abstracts of theology or philosophy. He is bearing witness to the incarnated Christ, the living Christ. He is, he is delivering a message out of his experience. He's saying, listen, guys, we have, we have touched Jesus. We have heard Jesus with our own ears. We have seen him with our own eyes. What I'm going to share with you is, is the overflow of my encounter and my experience with him. So John was not looking here to deliver what some call propositional statements. Now, there's nothing wrong with propositional statements or propositional truth. But John was not here trying to present arguments. He was here to bear witness to the truth, which is embodied in the person of Jesus. So this was his message. This was his testimony. This was his burden was to, again, explain and to testify and to bear witness to the reality of the incarnated Lord. That is such a critical part for us as we're on mission, friends, loved ones, neighbors, family. We, as we are on mission, we are 
bearing witness to the truth primarily. We are testifying of that which we have personally experienced. So if you, going back to my last episode, if you have not experienced the reality of a living Christ, you don't really have much to share. You may have arguments, you may have propositions, but what it must be is a testimony of the ways in which you have personally encountered the incarnated Jesus. What this also tells me, by the way, is that, again, the Christian message, the Jesus message, is one of incarnation. It's one, and the word incarnation means to be enfleshed, enfleshed, in the enfleshment of God. So, by the way, John also has uh, a very specific audience in mind uh, when he writes this letter. It's those who are being perhaps a little troubled by and challenged by what was known as the Gnostic movement. The Gnostics were ones who denied the significance of flesh and material, of the, the physical. They believed, much uh, like other Greek philosophers like Plato and so forth, that all matter was evil. And the grand goal of, of the, the, the gospel in the, in, the, in the Christian context was to attain unto this secret knowledge that would allow a person to escape from the body, escape from matter. And so John says, no, 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 no. The gospel fundamentally affirms the reality of matter. The gospel fundamentally celebrates the fact that God came in the flesh. And that is an important part of the Christian message. And I think there's some lessons to us. Very few of us are probably consciously Gnostic in our theology. But uh, we're always in danger of becoming so suspicious of, quote-unquote, the world that we, um, we could undervalue the reality of, it, of the incarnation. It also tells me, by the way, again, that in our mission, we must not be Gnostic in our evangelism. It's not simply about proclaiming an abstract message. It's not simply about preaching ideas and concepts, it is about embodying those concepts as we affirm the goodness of God's creation. Now, don't get me wrong, sin has marred creation. We see the, the taint of evil all around us, and yet, and yet, there is still beauty and there is still power and there is still an important part for the, 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 the material reality of life. Um, every human being bears the image of God, the imago Dei in Latin, to use a phrase that is using two Latin words and not one Greek word. So, so, so that's, that's the first point, okay? So let's keep going, though, in this passage. So John says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that... That's an important word, that. So in other words, he's saying, we're doing all this. 
We're declaring the reality of, of, of the living Christ. We're doing it for a specific person. Uh, uh, sorry, a, a specific purpose, a specific reason, so that you also may live forever. Actually, no, that's not what John says. He doesn't say we're declaring all of this to you so that you can live forever. He doesn't say we're declaring all this to you so that you can be saved. He says, we're declaring this to you so that you may, and I love this, guys, I love this, you may have fellowship with us. Oh, man, guys, I love that. So rich and powerful. He, John, John says, listen, this is the motive we have. We want you to have fellowship with us. That's the reason we are presenting the good news. That's the reason we are testifying of the reality of the incarnated Jesus is because we want you to experience incarnational fellowship with us. It's not just about eternity and living forever. It's so that you can be in fellowship with us. And that is, friends, loved ones, families, family members, that is the Greek word. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. All right? Koinonia. It's a, that's, a, that's actually a, a very huge concept in the New Testament. Koinonia. It's a big word. It has many different kind of meanings to it, um, but it basically has uh, the idea of fellowship or community or, or relationship, a, a common corporate relationship. Um, it is kind of derives from this idea of to have things in common. Uh, so it's, it's this idea of deep, rich communal fellowship. And friends, that to me is the point of the gospel. Furthermore, check out what he goes on to say. And he says, and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Let me spell it out clearly. Friends, loved ones, family members, I keep using this phrase, but let me spell it out for you clearly. At the heart of the gospel message, at the heart of mission and evangelism, at the heart of the whole exercise is koinonia. This is the reality of what God is all about. God is a God of koinonia. He is a God of relationship and fellowship and community. And that is the heart of the Godhead, Father and Son. This is very much a Trinitarian idea. This is very much what we see existing in the experience of Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity past. I won't go through all the passages of Scripture, but suffice it to say that even before there was 
any created being, any created thing, trees, plants, animals, the universe, the worlds, there was koinonia among the Godhead. There was koinonia dei. Dei in Latin means God. The fellowship of God, the community of God, God's community, God's fellowship. And that's actually what this whole project is about, is to have fellowship, to have koinonia with the Godhead. You know, a few weeks ago, I came to the realization, it's, it's been a long time coming, but it's so critically important, and I don't know why it took me so long to articulate it in this way, but um, God created me not because he needs me, but because he wants me, okay? Let me say that again. God created me. God created you. Not because he needs me. Not because he needs you. Because he wants me. He wants you. You see, everything God needs, he possesses within himself. There is nothing outside of God's self that would actually add to his reality. He chooses, however, to place himself in the position of desire to want stuff outside of himself. But God literally is completely 100% self-existent and self-sufficient. There's nothing outside of him that can help him in a literal, I'm going to use the word, big philosophical word here, ontological sense. Everything God needs is contained within the Godhead. Nothing outside of the Godhead can add to God's stature. So that tells me that the, the, the motivation in bringing the universe into existence, the motivation to bring you and me into existence is not out of need, but out of desire. And so at the core the, 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 the creative act was God wanting, choosing, desiring to enlarge in the koinonia, to enlarge in the fellowship, to enlarge in the community, to enlarge in the circle. And so the, the, great, the great purpose of human existence is to step into that koinonia, to step into that fellowship, to step into that community. And you and I, when we are on mission, are simply inviting people into that circle, inviting them into that koinonia, inviting them into that fellowship. You know, I have to admit that I kind of have, have missed this ingredient. I have... I'm not saying this is completely wrong, but I have kind of assumed that the singular purpose of the church was to be a part of the Missio Dei, which is the mission of God. Like, that's why we exist. We exist because we need to be workers for God. We need to be on the mission of God. We need to make disciples for God. We need to join up with God on his mission, even if I use it in that sense. But the church doesn't merely exist for mission. The church 
first and foremost exists for koinonia. It first and foremost exists for fellowship and community. And if we don't get that right, we will get our missiological approaches wrong. If we think that we primarily exist for evangelism, then we will get to a place where we use methods that are not necessarily harmonious with the koinonia dei. Again, in other words, the way we pursue mission is shaped deeply by what we understand the church to fundamentally be about. And the church is not fundamentally, primarily about disseminating ideas. The church is not fundamentally at its core about spreading, quote unquote, truth. The fundamental foundational experience of church is to experience the koinonia dei, to experience the fellowship of God in Christ, the Spirit, the Father. So that's what John says. He says, listen, this is what we're all about. This is what we're doing. We're trying to invite you into koinonia. We're trying to invite you into fellowship, into community. And so we will carry out that mission accordingly. We will realize that the great mission is to be the koinonia dei, in the midst of the world around us. And they will look and the world will see, wait a minute, there's something going on here that is counter-cultural. There's something here that is that, that goes against the grain. There is something here that gets my attention because we are carrying out the fellowship of God. We are carrying out something that is otherworldly, so to speak, although I would argue, of course, that this is where this is the way the world was originally designed to exist, but we have unfortunately gotten away from that. So we will be reflectors of the original intent for the world, which has not been unfortunately demonstrated heretofore. You know, uh, Paul picks up this idea in Ephesians, um, one of the most powerful portions in scripture in the new testament in my opinion paul in ephesians 3 talks about the great purpose of the church and he says i am least than the least of all the saints but this grace was given that i should preach among the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and power in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word for fellowship of the mystery is the koinonia. It's the community. It's the, it's the the, the fellowship of the mystery. So in other words, the church 
is supposed to be the great signpost of God's wisdom. The church is to be the great reflector of God's wisdom, by the way, not only to the world, but as Paul says, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So our koinonia, our koinonia uh, is, is, reflects God's wisdom. It, it, it gives witness, it bears witness to the reality of the koinonia among the Godhead. And so you and I have the chance to be reflectors of that reality. You know, I think it's critically important that we understand that that church is fundamentally a relational pursuit. I know this maybe sounds like a no-brainer to you if you've listened to us long enough. Um, and we've harped on this over and over and over again, but I just can't get away again from what John says there. Listen, we've, we're testifying to this because we want you to have fellowship with us. Um, there is not, I don't think, a big point in experiencing church simply as an experience of information transfer. You know, what we've realized, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in my next episode, but what we have come to kind of notice is that our kind of shift, our missional shift here in um, our church, our, our uh, restart, you know, it's been a very relational shift. And what we've noticed is that there is still a pull for many people to simply be wallflowers. They want to come in. They want to sit in the back row, so to speak. They want to kind of fly under the radar, hear the good, nice ideas, go back home, not really enter into relationship with people. But, oh man, guys, this is the reality. If you, if you aren't doing relationships, you're not really doing church. And I get it. I get it because there's a lot of really hurting people. There is a lot of pain, trauma. There's a lot of distrust. Um, people have just been burned too many times. And so to go into deep koinonia with people is a very scary idea, a very scary thought. It opens me up to further hurt and pain. And I get that. I understand that. But I'm just going to keep banging the drum that says I acknowledge that. I recognize that. I'm sorry for that. But I'm still going to bang the drum for the ideal. And that is at the core the Jesus way is the way of relationship. It's the way of koinonia. It's the way of fellowship. And that's what God ultimately wants for us. Eternity will fundamentally be about relationships. It's not going to be just about ideas. It's not going to be, you know, these other things. God wants to bring healing to us. And so honestly, if, if that is intimidating to you, this may sound funny or crazy, but get some therapy. Seriously, um, love you, but if 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 being in deep relationships with people is scary to you, 
Um, I'm just, I'm not, no judgment here. And I have a long ways to go myself, but uh, that's not the way God wanted it to be. God, when we were created in God's image, he created us to be like the Trinitarian experience of koinonia. He, he, he created us to be relational people. And unfortunately, we've all been damaged so much that we have serious hurdles and barriers to get into that full koinonia. But if you recognize that in your heart, just ask God to show you how you can grow in that because that's what it is. That's what it's about. That's what it's all about. So yeah, that's my little sermonette today. The koinonia day invite you to just, um, step into it. And if it's too painful, get some therapy, ask God to grow you relationally, emotionally. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, maybe I just add that, that God in, in Christ said John 17 in his last prayer that he prayed that we would be one. The body of Christ would be one so that the world would know that God sent Jesus. So our oneness, our koinonia is actually the great argument in favor of the divinity of Jesus. So think about that for a second. All right, guys, hope this has been inspiring, challenging, helpful to you. And thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you again next time on Mission Lab. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.